In The Guardian last year, Peep Show creator Jesse Armstrong said, Talking about satire feels like death. He continued, If I heard somebody go, Now let's think about how satire works. And then I had to think of what that person looks like. I'd think, That person looks like a wanker. Well, no one can see what we look like because um, this is a podcast, but welcome to Smith and War Talk About Satire, a podcast in which I, Joe War, talk about satire and my colleague Adam Smith talks about satire and we think about what it is and how it works. Joe and I are lecturers in 18th and 19th century literature at York St. John University. I'm the 18th century, Joe is the 19th, and together we direct an ongoing project called Satire, Births, Deaths, Legacies a project which we hope to mercilessly cannibalise, repurpose and rehash as a podcast in a desperate bid to amass quantifiable impact for our research. And this is that podcast where we discuss the form, function and future of satire and also the history of satire. In future instalments, Adam and I will be joined by other people talking about satire as well, probably. But first things first, let's have a think about what satire is and what we what we mean by the term and see about some definitions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that seems that. like a good place yeah. to start. Well, actually, I've got a definition here from a book which I read when I was an undergraduate called Restoration Through Post... Uh, it's called Literature in Context, Restoration Through Postmodernism, written by L. Kip Wheeler. And this definition goes, Satire is an attack or a criticism of any stupidity or vice in the form of scathing humour or a critique of what the author sees to be a dangerous religious, political, moral or social standard Satire became an especially popular technique during the 18th century in which it was believed, and this is the bit that I think is really interesting and important, um, that an artist could correct folly by using art as a mirror to reflect society. I think you've got another quotation there as well, haven't you, Adam? Well, I've got another, but this okay. is about the 18th century oh, again. Right, okay. So um, this is just a quote from Pat Rogers. Um, he says that satire was used in both literary and graphic terms to express a skewed and damaging truth. And then there's this quote, which I really like. The violence of Lampoon was joined to the finesse of portraiture. In the works of the great practitioners, abuse is made art. A hyperbole of insult is wedded to malicious realism. Yeah. So it's something about reflecting the truth. It's something about, um, quite often about hurting people um, and forcing this truth on them. And something about a kind of convincing representation of the thing that it is that's going to be satirized in the in the reflections in the copies and some desire to to change things and to change minds yeah absolutely a recurring word is abuse so abusing people to make them see the truth like abusing them out of their out of like you say out of the misconceptions or follies that they may have come to believe to see the true state of things and in uh, pat rogers i think he's knowingly there when he refers to satire as a mirror, building on some of the things that Pope and Swift were saying at the time. So in my period, the 18th century, satire is sometimes described as a mirror, sometimes described as bad medicine. Um, that Pope uses that metaphor in the epilogue to the, satis- the satires in that he sees satire as a necessary duty and it's, it's needed to shock people into seeing the reality of things. Um, but it's like, it's as if, Dryden says this as well, it's, the satirist is like a doctor giving someone medicine they don't want to have. And Pope says that that results in the unwilling gratitude of base humanity. People don't appreciate being abused into seeing the truth, surprisingly. It's also described by Swift as a scalpel, sort of like cutting away the nonsense to reveal the truth of things. So it's supposed to hurt and it's supposed to work, especially if you're if you're base humanity. And I was thinking about this a lot um, over the weekend when I went to see the... I Objects exhibition at the British Museum that's obviously Ian Hislop's project and obviously there's a difference between 
dissenting and satirizing and I was trying to think about which of the things I was looking at were straightforwardly dissent and which were satire and dissent is often kind of it's, it's blunter and it doesn't require that element of of copying so there are lots of, you know coins with um swastikas drawn on king edward's face and votes for women on the front of them and a 20 pound note with stay in the eu printed on it and these are all you know clever um modes of dissent and then some satire that's a bit more blunt like a picture of george iii doing a poo in a field one component that i thought was was quite interesting where satire and dissent overlap and it wasn't always about that kind of faithful replication and mirroring things but that it's it's clever and it's going to go over the heads of a lot of people and you see that often in kind of responses to contemporary satire where people don't get it and there's a, a joy in having got it but a lot of the kind of the art with hidden little bits in that you don't know until it's in a museum and there's a white outline around the bit that's meant to be two copulating bodies or whatever you you don't know it's there most of the time until it's pointed out so i was thinking there's something about satire and the joy in recognizing it and the shame in not recognizing it that i don't know is is that there for the in the 18th century or is it more like this is just going to hurt you until you sort yourself out well i think there, there's um there is like an implicit elitism in the early 18th century satirists that I've mentioned so far. And it's a part of the, part of the humor of it. And part of the point of it is that it's not for everyone. Mm. Like if you don't get this, a famous example, for instance, might be Jonathan Swift's modest proposal yeah. where he suggests eating babies as a way of resolving the, the, the famine in Ireland. We was discussing this with students recently and we were looking at some criticism that suggested that part of like who is the target of that satire is it the irish is it the english well to a certain extent it's people who might read that and not realize it's satire mm. so there is kind of an in-jokey backslapping elitism implicit in that but you know, i guess you could ask the question like to what extent does it work so with the 18th century examples for instance a lot of the satirists i've named so far are part of the scribblerius club they would probably be identified more broadly as as being Tory writers and the, th the things that they're rallying against is like you know the rise of consumerism the import of trade all of this kind of thing which they're not ever gonna they're not gonna be able to reverse mm. that by making jokes about it so individuals who are doing satire privately perhaps because they're dissatisfied with some aspect of their life are they gonna they're not gonna be able to enact the change that satire that the definition of satire suggests they're just going to laugh about it yeah which is a, a kind of coping mechanism isn't it yeah something you you can't what you can't change you can at least satirize yeah and, um, and exclude people who don't get that satire might be surprising to people who read the newspapers which seem to regularly be claiming that satire is dead or has died or is dying for various reasons so yeah is satire dead joe well i'm assuming that ian hislop doesn't think it is because i noticed <laughs> that um one of the events that's coming up at the british museum in november is an evening um event with i think it's a, a conversation between ian hislop and armando Iannucci talking about precisely that whether right. satire is dead in an era of fake news yeah um, which i would love to get to but doubt that i will be good to get him on the podcast yeah, 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 I'm sure they'd, they'd be thrilled, actually, wouldn't we they? We have the they technology. Might, I suppose in a lot of ways they might rather be in here than in the British Museum in yeah. the heart of Bloomsbury, so yeah, yeah. it'd be definitely worth uh, reaching out.
This is Adam and Joe from the Not Too Distant Future. This is February 2019. That event was in November 2018. Yeah, I didn't get to go. And he and Hislop has yet to agree to be on the podcast. Yeah, although we're optimistic about Armando Iannucci. We're not actually optimistic. But yeah, and the fact that that conversation is happening at the British Museum, um, yes, it speaks to the fact that many people, not the least of which is Armando Iannucci, have talked a lot recently about whether satire can can thrive in an era where what's what is the truth that you're satirizing Mm. something has to be stable in order to be satirized perhaps and not only does it have to be stable it has to be not intrinsically ridiculous Mm. so the example of that would be would be trump and the argument that he's a kind of He's such a self-satirizing um, character that what else can you do? And also that idea that you can't you can't do effective satire if you're hamstrung by notions of um, watch me do inverted commas here uh, over the airwaves of political correctness. How can you do biting satire that lashes whips and all the rest of it if mm-hmm. you can't say certain things or you know if some things can't be satirized because they're so important or they might hurt people if you if you were to mock or satirize them in any way so clearly that's a conversation that's happening a lot at the moment post brexit post trump or in the midst of brexit and trump and certain arguments about political correctness but i think there's some historical precedents for that as well aren't there yeah people in the olden days were saying that satire had died as well like right back in the 18th century again uh, which is the often regarded as being the great age of satire. People like Alexander Pope, who's remembered as, as like, for many things, but including the Dunciad, which is this great, great work of, of English satire, was writing things like he did in his, his epilogue to the satire. There's a particular quote from, from that poem, which uh, I've milked a lot in the last mm. few months, where he actually says, So satire is no more, I feel it die. No gazetteer more innocent than I, and let the God's name every fool and knave be graced through life and flattered in his grave. So he sort of, it seems to be saying there that satire is dying and he's, he's sort of at satire's deathbed watching it die. And he's doing the typical, this typical Popian strategy of saying one thing when he means the exact opposite. So he's saying satire has died, which means that every fool and knave, every idiot in the world will now be able to fl- be flattered through life, gr- given grace through life and then flattered in death. But he doesn't actually think that's a good thing he's saying he's actually saying satire must not die so the idiots and fools and knaves are not let off the hook but why would he why would he be even contemplating a world where satire was going down the drain um and i think a lot of the reasons are analogous to the ones that you're suggesting there so the political correctness gone mad thing pope's political rivals were the whigs um, and the whigs were alone in this but they were perpetuating this idea which he also was involved in to an extent of politeness and that think there are things that should and shouldn't be said there's also the idea that the world has gone crazy. It's often said now, isn't it, that we live in unprecedented times where an orange baby is in the White House or, you know, Theresa May is coming out dancing to Dancing Queen yeah. or um, there's going to be a festival of Brexit and all of this, which prompts a lot of people to say, wow, we live in such crazy times, we can't even do satire anymore. But Pope was writing at a time where the King of England could barely speak English because he was German. So they were things that were perhaps so absurd they couldn't mm. couldn't be couldn't be outdone by satire and then also for pope and a lot of his the tory satirists at the time satire was actually a classical tradition designed to do all of the things that we've discussed which and a lot of 
a lot of his work, a lot of the joke in a lot of his work is that this classical mode can't be sustained in contemporary London because they've fallen so far. Um, but also the emergence of cheap print culture means that more and more people can have a go. And he's concerned that a lot of the satire that's emerging is kind of amateurish and misses the point or is maybe just horrible for the sake of being horrible or juvenile. Juvenile is an unfortunate word to have chose because juvenilian <laughs> satire is a, is a kind of satire which Pope was very good at. But, you know, but there's just going to be bad satire. I feel like there might be a modern day analogy for that. Do you think? I think it's some, somewhere that people can do satire all over the place and some of it's not very good. I don't know. Some, some sort of democratic forum where people can retweet things that are, that are bad satire. <laughs> An unnamed um, online <laughs> forum where such a thing could happen. Yeah. That, M- one That's person the, might retweet maybe, another. Maybe Charlie Brooker will yeah. write some bizarre futuristic um, yeah. drama about obviously, that at some point. Obviously, you mean MySpace. <laughs> yeah. Um, I see Bebo, actually. But Bebo, yeah. yeah. But I mean, he's clearly wrong, isn't he? Because satire, uh, satire didn't die, and it sounds as though he knew that full yeah. well, that it hadn't, and it wasn't going to, and, and it wasn't about to anytime soon. Yeah. And even as... People like Armando Iannucci say that it's that it's died. I I assume he doesn't entirely think that it has. Yeah. Although I'm just trying to think what Armando what Armando Iannucci's done most recently. Good question. Yeah. Well, where are you, Armando Iannucci, <laughs> in the country's hour of need? Yeah. Um, he's on Twitter actually, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, all they all are. They all are. But they've stopped doing satire. They've just started listing things that have happened. Yeah. Like, the, is it David Schneider? Yeah. Like his Twitter now, and then quite uh, well. Have your own politics, folks. But uh, mm. what he does now is he just lists terrible things that have yeah. happened and yeah. uh, doesn't, because I think he's scared to make it into a joke in case it makes it palatable. Yeah. I mean, another set, another, and I, I hesitate to use the term satirist, but Jonathan Pye, mm-hmm. have you ever seen him, the online comedian? Yeah. I was thinking about whether or not he would, which definition of satire he would meet. But what he does is he just says things that have happened in a really mm. angry way. Um, which is quite funny because he said, well, it's funny in a way because it's cathartic, I suppose, but it's not really, it's not really satire in the sense that, well, there's no, not, it's not particularly sophisticated, although it might prompt yeah. us, it might get to the root of prompting us to reflect of, on what a bad situation we're in, but yeah. it's not using any devices to get there. He's just saying it. So literally so. just saying what is true <laughs> yeah. can be satirical. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's where we are. Yeah. Another complicated element is that to say that satire has died is a, is quite a potent satirical yeah. manoeuvre, isn't it? Like things have got so bad now or yeah. for whatever reason, uh, I can't even do any satire. But it seems that in all of these examples, something that all of these satirists from all across history would agree is that a primary function of satire is to prompt critical introspection. Mm. And that actually it should be allowed to offend and upset people. That there, yeah. there is an abuse element it actually literally in, in that first definition I read out, which should be allowed to happen to prompt that reflection to happen so it sort of shocks you into thinking about Mm. things and that seems consistent i mean we've we've touched on this a little bit already but um who do you think is doing doing good satire now or who's doing satire and is it good is it working do you think doing good satire i mean one of the most recent instances of of satire on tv was sasha baron cohen's who is america um which was interesting because it combined some really like to to use a sort of hackneyed expression some really biting satire um about american gun control and kind of trump supporters and um that that was clearly making a very political point and that did 
satirize the people who were who were on there purely to be mocked but often in quite a sort of puerile or disgusting way one thing that was missing from that though was quite what the role of the audience was supposed to be so with something like something earlier like chris morris's brass eye you could see that what was being satirized was media representation of certain kind of topics like paedophilia for example or animal rights in one of the slightly less controversial ones and you knew that that was being satirized and so to a kind of credulous um celebrity culture in which we all believe what we're told and get upset about it and i think one of the things that was missing in in who is america was how we were supposed to feel about this were we supposed to feel outraged or just um amused a bit disgusted and quite often we we weren't sure because it wasn't always clear who was in on the joke and who wasn't and quite what was being satirized so there was one character who um, was meant to be um, an ex-con who made pictures out of I think like excrement and pubic hair and he was passing them off to a, an art gallery owner and it was never clear whether she knew what was going on or not and in a way it didn't help much either way because it wasn't clear if you're is this just an excuse to be disgusting or are you saying something about the contemporary art scene in which case that's a bit weak because I feel like we did that with Tracy Emin's burden is it proper art or not so that's the most recent example of a relatively high profile tv satire that I can think of mm. I don't know what about you think of- the picture of Pierce Morgan eating Donald Trump's anus oh yes um, so it was a drawing oh, yeah. Um, of that, which I think was revealed on a BBC Two late night uh, live audience mm. program, and quite quickly, obviously, went viral. It was such a potent image. Um, yeah, that is potent. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and obviously, it didn't take long for Piers Morgan to say that it was horrible, and yeah. and that someone who actually advocates that political correctness has gone mad was quite quickly saying this has gone too far. Yeah. And then that, and then that prompted debates of like, is that there's not much subtext in that image, but but it did meet a lot of the definitions of in terms of shocking mm-hmm. people, and 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 it was quite scathing. But then that prompted a lot of, of conversations of like, is what is this doing? And because it went, like I say, it went viral on social media, there was all of the usual conversations about is this an acting change or is it creating an echo chamber or is it people who don't like Donald Trump and don't like Piers Morgan and just laughing at this, but it's not creating any change. In quite a homophobic way as well yeah um yeah one of the one of the best um satirical things relating to donald trump and there are a lot but one one that i particularly enjoyed recently was i think it was started by armando iannucci where it was did you see it where like you replace in any in any picture where donald trump is in a room full of people and he's replaced with a giant penguin Mm -hmm. and the reason uh, the reason why that's good and i think this sort of intersects with those definitions we had earlier is that all the expressions of the people in the room and their body language makes absolute sense if they're in a room with a giant penguin yeah. instead of Donald Trump yeah and what it but what it forces you to do is to look again and to look more carefully at those people's expressions and their body language because if there's a if a picture has Donald Trump in it that's where that's where you look yeah. first and foremost. But replacing him with a penguin yeah. forces you to to kind of see something different and to and, and also I mean it's just it's quite funny. It's isn't just it? funny. Yeah. I mean that's that's quite a sophisticated one. I was gonna say one of my favourite ones is the Twitter account uh, Trump Draws. Have you seen yes. that one? So yeah. you know, where he's supposed to lift up a, a piece of paper 
with something important on it, but there's always some scrawled wax yeah. wax crayon drawing, which is very funny. But then also, I spe- that also introduces the question of like, does it make Donald Trump safe to think of him as mm. a penguin or to think of him as someone who's drawing in wax crayon? Or does, is it just a way of normalizing these things? There's the two types of satire, juvenilian satire and Horatian satire. And juvenilian satire really goes for the jugular and can be quite horrible, whereas Horatian satire is a bit softer. And and even time, oftentimes in Horatian satire, the person who's being satirized can quite cheerfully join in. And I was trying to think for my students recently of examples of each. And I think an example of Horatian satire would be something like Have I Got News For You, mm. where it's, it presents itself as wanting to skewer the politicians, but then oftentimes they're there yes. involved in the joke yeah. uh, in a way that perhaps makes us stop thinking of them as the governors of our country and start, yeah. th- start thinking of them as crazy characters, improvisational yeah. characters. Yeah, I mean, there was a kind of a more perhaps a less troubling version of that, and maybe it's telling that this is a little bit older, was in um, early episodes of Ali G, where did you ever see the one where he's interviewing Tony Benn? Yeah. And initially you think it's going to be, you know, kind of making Tony Benn look foolish. Actually, Tony Benn comes out of that looking incredible and yeah. really kind of sensible and wise. And, and, and I think they also kind of laugh a bit as well. And ultimately the satire seems like it's more directed at people like Ali G mm. rather than brass eye um, dynamic in which Tony Benn would have been got on and been made to look like an absolute idiot. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the, the element to which things like Have I Got News For You are satirical is difficult, I think, because quite often satirical is bandied around to apply to any sort of mainstream show where they're not entirely serious, taking a satirical look at this week's events, which just means kind of being a bit scathing sometimes, which isn't the same, is it? No, absolutely not. I mean, and the the extent to which that happens is reflected, I think, sometimes in the conversations I have in seminar rooms Mm. about when we're discussing which satire comes up occasionally. And um, there was a co- quite a few years ago now where I was discussing Jonathan Swift's satire. And I just said to everyone, can you think, like, I think someone said, I'm not really sure actually what mm. satire is. So as a way of getting into that conversation, I asked people to think of examples of satire. And someone said, uh, well, obviously someone said, have I got news for you immediately mm. as the like standard example, yeah, the default that. example yeah. of satire. And then somebody else said, not going out with Lee Mack. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, wow. not sure, I'm not sure what that is a satire of but it just what, what it speaks to is a conflation of the word satirist and comedian yeah yeah so, some satirists can do stand-up but i think not all stand-up well not all stand-ups don't do satire yeah a, but then yeah. i mean there's i don't know I, mean, people, I could imagine that people might describe michael mcintyre as gentle satire on middle class north london family life or yeah so, but but it's not. But those though, people are wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It, it lacks the bite, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think not going out could be a subject of satire. Yeah. I'd be up yeah. for doing that. But, um, I suppose satire needs to have a target. But, it, mm. but it's not limited to having just one. It can have many at the same time. But it has to, someone has to get abused. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael McIntyre perhaps wouldn't, well, he won't abuse anyone in a way that's substantial. Maybe very light Horatian satire. Yeah. Because he's got DVDs it's to sell. Spice racks, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think I've had that satire conversation in seminars as well for the Northanger Abbey week. Yeah. And usually had, have I got news for you? South Park often. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Where there, yeah. Where there clearly are a series of targets. Every, everything 
is a is a target and it's very clear what they hate and despise in that show isn't it yeah yeah um i think the brass eye example and the the tony ben analogy example is quite a useful one she mentioned that it's perhaps telling that those things are a little bit older mm. i noticed that recently i think last year when brass eye was re-released on blu-ray mm-hmm. um the ad campaign the tagline for the ad campaign was when fake news was funny yeah where we could laugh at, at this and I think that that's maybe tells us something about not even necessarily the reality of the situation now, but certainly the way the ways in which that reality is painted by yeah. certain portions of the media and certain commentators, which is where does satire stop being satire and start becoming fake news? And again, that idea of things have become so absurd that mm. we can't satirize them. The, the Poke and the Onion put out fake news yeah. stories, don't they? But there's been a few occasions recently where the headline lots things they've they've done jokes and then it's actually happened my favorite yeah. example i think it was the poke where they ran a headline about a, a fake story a joke story a satire story about mm. the northern powerhouse being relocated from sheffield to london yeah and then 18 months then later happened. it happened yeah. and the headline was identical i mean i think I and mean, this is this really kind of broad brush strokes but i think in the 90s a lot of the kind of satirical ire was directed towards you know stuff that was bad and concerning like you know Iraq and and the big thing that everybody went on about was oh it's all spin everything's spin now Mm. and so things were kind of often troubling and you can see those being skewered by that that generation of satirists again to name check um, Armando Iannucci and so on but who were angrily engaged with all of that and things seemed troubling but not absurd I don't yeah. think there was a sense that people were wrong, but not that they were ridiculous. Yeah. And that, that I think lends some weight to the argument that satire is more difficult to produce and to be serious about and to be taken seriously yeah. over the last two years in particular. So what to do? Um, yeah, what to do about that? I was just thinking, I was trying to think of a way to bring it in, but I can't, so I'm mm. just going to say it anyway. Um, but just this morning on the way to the on the way to the studio this morning when mm. I checked, checked Twitch for my phone and there's, there's a big debacle happening today around a celebratory 50p coin to, yeah. uh, to celebrate. Well, they've been careful not to say celebrate Brexit, but to commemorate Brexit. And this, yeah. of course, much like the festival of Brexit that was announced a few weeks ago has prompted lots of responses from lots mm. of different quarters. And one that I particularly liked was a tweet that said the commemorative, commemorative 50p will come out in two weeks. No, wait four weeks no wait six months no wait two years no wait it's a euro <laughs> uh, which I, uh, it's something that kind of thing is something and it's mm. definitely cathartic and solidarity but is it doing the work of the 18th century definition of satire which is actually mm. at least paying lip service to the to the idea of trying to enact a change i suppose the 50p thing it it speaks to a lot of connected concerns doesn't it because on the one hand it's like well that's another misguided use of of time and funds it feels like a displacement activity it's a blue passport and a festival of brexit and so on there's that element of kind of frustration about it i think there's also a sense of disbelief that no one has thought what a stupid idea this is Mm. that we are genuinely thought to be capable of being placated with literally a shiny new coin <laughs> that will probably be worth less than it is right yeah. now. And most people will probably try quite strenuously not to be given one in their change mm. because it's just distressing and, you know, the whole situation is, is distressing. And, it's the last and thing wrong. we need in a, such a fragile economy is for people to start throwing their money <laughs> away, is it? Yeah, and it, it, it's just a kind of 
a fake currency for a, a fake world it it seems just a bit you know we've got our special little brexit money to spend in our brexit fantasy land and i, I do think that may be part of the reason why it's that sense of disbelief that's triggered people to to be so funny about it mm. on twitter but whether that is satire that's going to hold up a mirror to anything or change anything mind you i mean is there a, is there an example when satire has changed anything <laughs> there was there yeah well, but, should we go home yeah yeah well maybe maybe not i mean my the next thing i wanted to say was um do you think so the condition the parameters for satire have changed mm. satire hasn't died so, i mean the 50p 50p gate demonstrates that yeah. there's plenty of material out there and there's plenty of people um willing to give a go uh to give satire mm. a go but um but do we do we need satire to come back in a in a more traditional way mm. sound a bit brexity there but like <laughs> do we need to go back do we need to make satire great again yeah i think um, seven hundred thousand people should march through london yeah. being satirical yeah. until brexit is called off i don't i don't know i mean i sp- that was making me think about the trump balloon satire well. has changed something uh, in mm. uh, it's not a good not it didn't work out well well mm. it's a matter of opinion if it worked out well or not but i was just thinking the um spitting images when they yeah when it was the the, the night of the the night of the vote yeah and they did the margaret thatcher evil margaret thatcher dummy saying goodbye to everyone yeah and, it's and it become, made everyone feel really sorry for margaret thatcher yeah 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 so uh, that was misfiring satire can yes. can change the course of history well i think they were just a little bit too good at the pathos of the situation mm. and because you can't always trust people to get satire they just saw a sad crying woman and thought yeah. that was a shame which it, it seems odd that you would be a regular spitting image viewer and and have that response but but they did so yeah it, it's it changed things in that it made people feel a bit sorry for margaret thatcher yeah after she'd gone but can satire effectively save us from an apocalyptic dystopian future I think that's asking a lot, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But also we have to keep, we have to keep doing it, don't we? We have to keep having it. And I suppose it's that kind of last line of defence that at least we can say, if nothing else, we acknowledge we're living in this insane and confusing and disturbing reality. Yeah. Do you think it could? Just just listening to what you're saying now, I suppose it's about being aware, isn't it? It's about um, (laughs) being mindful of situations. So satire might not, have the power to enact change but it does have the power to make people acknowledge the situation that they're in yeah and you can't enact change if you're not first aware of the situation so in terms of promoting mindfulness or critical self-reflection then then satire does work and it might be it might be helpful for you to step up shortly yeah. and like do more things. Yeah. And Iaduchi and David Schneider, you need to you need to do another one. Like, I know yeah. you just did that one um, about Stalin. Oh yeah, that, that was great. Year or so ago yeah, now, yeah, so yeah. But, uh, but what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Still, your country needs you. And if everyone's going to get on to social media and do their own twatire, mm-hmm. Twitter satire, yeah, um, then be mindful about that as well. So make yeah. sure make it count. I suppose yeah. would be would be good. We've got a little bit longer to think about that question, haven't we? But in, yes. In February, in March, as part of the York Literary Festival, if you find yourself in York. Um, Joe and I are doing an event as part of the York Literary Festival at York Explore Library called Satire in the Future. Can the satirists still save us? And maybe we can maybe we can incorporate that into future installments of the podcast mm. as well. But we're, we're running out of time now. So this is the part where we're going to gesture vaguely to future installments in such a way as to imply that we have everything confirmed already for future episodes. So, Joe, 
what have we got lined up? <laughs> well, we've got five more episodes in the pipeline, I believe, haven't we? Um, exploring relationships between satire and a range of other things. And what sorts of people will be joining us to talk about satirical things, Joe? Well, uh, I think mostly academics who work on satire in lots of different historical contexts. Before we go, Joe, do you want to say a little bit about where people can find us and our work online? Folk could find us at Satire No More on Twitter. And if you Google all in, all in one go the words satire, death, birth and legacy, you will likely find us as well. Thank you very much for listening. And we do hope you can join us again soon for our next episode, Satire and Celebrity, for which we'll very likely be joined by at least one academic who works on one of these things. And who knows, maybe even a minor celebrity like 90s stand-up comedian Stuart Lee. For now, though, goodbye, listeners. Goodbye. Goodbye.